Hi, welcome to our common unity. I'm your host, Alexis Burton, and today I'm at the Common Threads Garden in Whatcom Middle School. We're meeting Laura Plott, the executive director. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. So right off the bat, who is your community? Oh, well, I think that's defined so many different ways, but I think my community is people who love to be in and serve in and learn in this space. And, and um, I, I mean, I think my community, the longer I live here, gets bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the people I fall in love with, it's because we, we have a shared sense of, of purpose, of, of wanting to make the world better than how we found it. I mean, I just, to me, community is what we make it. Mm-hmm. And so when, when, when we're thinking about who, who is our community, it's, it's people who want help, it's people who can help, and often those are the same people in different contexts. And the ways that we show help, too, I think. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I think that's the thing is we all, we all have... We all have gifts and we all have needs, and right. in the community, there's there's a, a good matching of those. Mm-hmm. Um, what brought you to living and working in Bellingham? <laughs> um, I call it the happy accident. Um, I, I I ended up here through through kind of a series of unfortunate events, and I can't believe how glad I am. I just. <laughs> um, I was living and working in Prescott, Arizona, and um, I, I won't I won't actually get into that whole story other than to say that I um, had been up for a straw bale building workshop on Lummi Island and uh, had thought, well, this would be a cool place to check out, and then uh, instead of checking it out, I m- moved here um, on a wing and a prayer with a... a an infant child and uh, my background previously had been in outdoor experiential education Mm -hmm. and I started a doctoral program at the University of Washington uh, and in education and I kept saying to people there that I was interested in education for sustainability and this was in 2005 and mm-hmm. people looked at me early language it was yeah. it, it was not it was I mean now if somebody said that to you you would be like oh yeah oh, of yeah. course uh-huh. I, who wouldn't want to do education for sustainability but people looked at me like I was a little bit crazy and uh, but through the course of my studies I ended up doing a, a, a research project in an in an in a history of education course that got me very, very curious about the history of school gardens and looking at how political food had been over the course of many decades. I mean, the, the at one point, school gardens were funded by the War Department or by the Department of Defense, like in the 1920s. Hmm. And, and it's because with all the men off to war, school gardens really became um, it was a, a place for growing food and a way that we could get kids to grow food. And, and at another point in, in the history of school gardens, it was more about um, kind of teaching immigrants a good work ethic. 
people were coming from all over the world and, and school gardens were a place to learn how to work hard and, and then there was kind of like the back to nature movement and people really interested in nature exploration but like school gardens had meant all these different things and, and so that's what got me when I was in my doctoral program which just got me fascinated by uh, yeah where does basic life skills literacy fit into our standard education and why was it that I as a person who was then in my early 40s had never been taught how mm -hmm. to grow food and of course I was super ambitious this original idea as a newcomer to this community was I'm going to start a nonprofit that focuses on sustainable uh, food energy and building because I thought it was such a travesty that I personally, as a well-educated, middle-aged person, didn't understand the, the basics of shelter, energy, and food. And I quickly realized that was way too ambitious. That, mm. that, and, and food was, was what, I, what I narrowed in on, partly because it felt the most accessible to me and partly because it felt the most universal, that food is Food, whether we have it in abundance or whether it's in scarcity or whether it's nutrient dense or nutrient poor, food is something we all have in common. Right. And 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 then both the need to eat and also the opportunity to build community through breaking bread together is just is is universal and 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 yet in, in this country, I think we have just such a um, complicated relationship with food, and we're, we're dealing with epidemics of obesity and diabetes, and, and my feeling partly as you know, a mother of a very young child when I started Common Threads was watching my kiddo who, I, I always joke about the eyeballs in my kneecaps, like walking around with a small child is like seeing the world as if your, your eyeballs were, were in your knees and you see all of the stuff that's marketed to kids um, and the, the, the gorgeously colored wrappers of the high sugar soda pops and cereals and that sort of thing. And as a, as a parent of a young child, I thought, either I'm going to tell my kid that he shouldn't want what millions of dollars are telling him he should want, mm -hmm. or I'm going to find a way to make my values joyful mm. for my child and therefore, you know, and out of that then was born, how about for other children as well? So Common Threads was really um, born out of both my midlife crisis of how come nobody ever taught me the basics about food when I was growing up and how mm -hmm. did I make it all the way through the school system without knowing how to grow a carrot? That seems a little wrong. And then also for my child just thinking well how do I how do I convey to him a sense of joy and wonder and curiosity and and I think of it as preventative medicine you know mm -hmm. so so if you think about the the millions of dollars that we're spending on diabetes and obesity what if we took a fraction of that money and put it into the front end of supporting people in in joyfully accessing nutritious, simple, healthful, culturally relevant food. Mm. 
And all of that was your question to like, how did I end up in Bellingham? But but really, what happened was I ended up here, and I uh, I, I was coming from a high desert. So that mm -hmm. was the other thing was I had never lived someplace where things wanted to grow, mm -hmm. and and so so it was just sort of astonishing to me to be in this in this place of such abundance, and yet to realize that there is hunger and there is um, there are so many people in this community who struggle with food access even though it, it seems like there there is the opportunity for food all around us hmm. thank you that um, wrapped up my next question <laughs> really nicely um, Good. Which was, can you share a little bit with the audience the focus of your organization and your history with it, which you just explored yeah. your history. So your focus now, we're at Wacom Middle School. You have other Common Threads gardens? So Common Threads, when Common Threads first started, my initial dream was a farm-based education center, and I had an idea that people would come to a place and in a residential setting, stay for a couple of days and learn learn about and enjoy healthy food together. Mm -hmm. um, that was a very sweet and very naive dream, I think, right. because that's a that's a, a a program of privilege because you've got to have the transportation to get there and and the time and the money to spend. And so, pretty quickly, Common Threads morphed into. Well, if we want to connect kids with healthy food, we got to go to where the food, the kids are, mm -hmm. which is schools. And thankfully, there was already, I mean, Common Threads did not birth the interest in school gardens in Whatcom County. There were lots of people who either were doing school gardens or had done school gardens, but in so many instances, it was a highly motivated teacher or parent who would do the heavy lifting and get the garden installed and think about how to integrate it into what was going on in the classroom and then that person would their child would graduate from the school or if they were a teacher they would move to a different school or they might you know, go on leave because they had a child or whatever it might be and the, the school garden would languish and mm -hmm. administrators would become frustrated and then the next time somebody wanted to start a school garden, it would be a little bit harder to do. And so part of Common Thread's pledge when we came into school garden work was that we would be the through line and we, and we would be the, the, the connective tissue and the cross-pollinator between different schools so that we could build a community of best practice around mm -hmm. food education in schools. And uh, because different people would come up against, you know, administrative barriers or policies that they weren't aware of or challenges that they weren't aware of. And what do you do about deer or water or sunlight or vandalism? And um, and so we just tried to kind of be the container for some of that community learning. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then, and then we added the, the cooking piece because gardening is sweet right. and it's great to be able to grow spinach, but if the spinach never makes it into your mouth, we haven't quite gotten the lesson through. And so we've done a lot of the, the navigating of policies and food safety concerns. Um, 
I mean, it, there's been a huge culture shift in Bellingham because when Common Thread started, the the um, there were a lot of questions about what was what was the pedagogical value of a school garden, oh. or or why yeah. would um, why would it make sense, or why did it matter? Why was it important to have school garden grown produce served on the salad bar? Mm-hmm. And and I think thanks to the work of a lot of fabulous advocates, um, that we now have the Bellingham Central Kitchen, which does scratch cooked meals, and 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 there's this there's this value in the Bellingham School District about food served with love and 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 just this knowledge that what we feed our kids really matters and that when kids eat better they learn better act better and feel better I mean there's just kind of this this community consciousness about that at this point that feels so normal and actually that's one of the things I've always said is that I I wanted I wanted to see the day where healthy food in school was boringly normal like mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't exceptional and it wasn't just on a special harvest of the month day but that but that good food served with love is something that we commit to for our kids every day because what we're doing as a community is building lifelong healthy eating habits and mm-hmm. so the the real joy of where we are right now in Bellingham is that in the past it it often felt like the, we would teach kids and get kids really excited about fresh fruits and vegetables in the garden, and then they would march down to the lunchroom and and be served a highly processed m- meal. And so there was sort of this cognitive dissonance of, well, hold on, there's there's this abundance here and there's this nutrient dense food that we're growing, but yet we're eating chicken nuggets and tater tots and chocolate milk now it feels like there's a lot more alignment and and my hope is that at a certain point the, the message that kids are getting about food at home at school in the garden in the cafeteria um, are all the same um, so and, and, and I really do think that the key ingredient is joy. I mean, rarely do any of us, children or adults, do things because they're good for us or because we're supposed to. We, we, usually if we're going to sustain a habit, it's because it feels good. Right. It, it's, it's a delight. And so to me, the goal is don't eat fresh fruits and vegetables because they're good for you eat fresh fruits and vegetables because you feel better when you do and mm-hmm. and how would you know that if you haven't been exposed and I just think about the number of adults that I've known who, who said I didn't even know what a fresh vegetable tasted like until you know I I went off to college or whatever it is and and so I mean I think I think that that exposure to me ought to be a human right mm-hmm. that that we all ought to have a chance to to not just to taste fresh produce, but to access it regularly, uh, affordably, and to know that it was was grown with dignity. And it's a tall order, right? I mean, because it, you can go down the rabbit hole of, of farm worker rights and, and the environmental impacts of how we grow food. And, and it's not like we're going to solve the world's hunger problems through school gardens, but I'm hoping that we're helping to raise a generation of really thoughtful consumers mm. and that 
that thoughtful consumers will drive ultimate market change. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's one of my big hopes also is that every generation that we decide to stop like our cycles of trauma. Yeah. It's just better for the next folks. Right. Just better and better. And right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there's a lot of talk about, and we think a lot as an organization about not food shaming. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no parent out there, I don't believe, who's like purposefully feeding their child poorly. Right. Um, I think every parent, with very few exceptions, is doing the best they can with what they've got and with what they know. Mm-hmm. And so to introduce food in a way that 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 doesn't put kids in this place of of feeling embarrassed about what they eat at home, right. but that at the same time allows them to feel empowered mm-hmm. to to start to make some changes. And I mean, we've had I had a, a dad show up at an event, and one of his comments was, he said, "You know, thank you so much. I'm a single father. I work nights. I've kind of." gotten lax with how I feed myself and my daughter and my daughter came home from one of your programs so excited about healthy eating mm-hmm. and she then reignited my commitment and Aww. and I I just love that kids can be the the Trojan horses that, the that catalyst. bring mm-hmm. bring healthy food into families because part of it is I mean, we've got families who feed their kids salad every night, but their kids don't choose to eat it. And then they'll come to one of our programs and I say, "Well, how did you, how did you get my kid to eat salad?" And and I just say, never underestimate the power of positive peer pressure. Mm-hmm. That when kids are joyfully exploring something together, then that makes it more acceptable to to practice those same behaviors at home. I mean the. The man who just walked by is the culinary program lead for the the new Central's Scratch Kitchen, and I, I've heard from him and others like, my, you know, my kid wouldn't serve the the kale that I offered, but but when Common Threads did it in a positive peer learning environment, then kids were were more open to it. Hmm, that's really interesting. I appreciate that you can like help tap into that. Just and it right. also like makes it a little bit more of a novel experience and less of a chore. Right. Like growing up, if you're like, you have to eat your salad every day. Yeah. But then you go and you're like, oh, you get to eat a salad. And just like that shift in the way right. it's served. Well, and I, I, and I haven't, I haven't ever actually found this research myself. So, so I'm, I'm cautious to keep saying it, but, but, but but I, I believe, and I believe there's research that back this up, that the, the comfort foods that we learn to enjoy when we're young mm-hmm. are going to be our comfort foods for our whole lives. So even, even, you know, even people who grew up in environments with limited food access who then experienced access to, some, to a greater diversity of, of healthy foods, like the go-to food when you're feeling blue mm-hmm. is going to be whatever it was my partner eats frozen peas yeah there you go (laughs) exactly yeah yeah I just it's I enjoy that I think you're totally right um I would be interested to follow up yeah see if there's research on that I'm sure that there is I've I've been told there is (laughs) I'll look into it yeah 
how do you build community with your organization? Oh, well, I mean, I genuinely believe that we're stronger together. Mm -hmm. And one of my greatest delights is, is knowing what we're good at and observing what others are good at and looking for the places of connection. So, I mean, for instance, part of the reason that we garden, cook, and eat with kids in schools is schools are really good at gathering kids together. Right. And, and so if we can tap into that, same with our programming in affordable housing complexes or places like the East Whatcom Regional Resource Center is gathering kids is not necessarily our organizational strength, mm -hmm. but finding other people who are great at gathering kids and then offering to say, okay, we got all these kids here, let's let's do some, some fun and developmentally appropriate food education with those kids. Um, and, and partly it's... Um, it's longevity in a community. I, I mean, I, Common Threats has now been around for 14 years, and mm -hmm. and I think relationships and community takes time. So, so I mean, I uh, one of our sh one of our community building strengths and weaknesses is our AmeriCorps model, because we have AmeriCorps service members who come in and and serve with passion for a year, but. And, and, and then they use it as a stepping stone to go on to whatever the mm -hmm. next great thing is for them. Um, and figuring out uh, that model has forced us to become really legacy-minded of making sure that we, we, we document relationships, we nurture relationships, and we, and we are deeply imperfect in right. this. I mean, and, and, and I think, you know, if anyone was listening to me on a podcast talking about how do we build relationships, it's humbling. I mean, it's it's it's, um, it, and I mean, there's so much around trust and and checking for intention mm -hmm. and and apologizing well when things don't go right. And and I think particularly this past year, uh, I mean, COVID interrupted things in a lot of ways and and revealed a lot of cracks and frailties in our system. I, I mean, to me, the big event of COVID is it revealed our community inequities and dysfunctions. Mm -hmm. And 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 then the the reckoning with with systemic racism that was triggered by George Floyd's death, same thing. I mean, it just it was a, a, a long overdue wake-up call, and it was a place where, as a, as a, a cisgendered, white, middle-aged, college-educated, organizational leader, I, I had to dig pretty deep to understand, like, wh where are my blind spots, and who am I building community with, Right. And who am I not building community with that mm -hmm. I need to do better? And and that doesn't feel like quick or easy 
work. It it it, it feels like a, a, a commitment to long-term learning, even when it's uncomfortable. And 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 I think part of building community in Bellingham right now really is a, about that of 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 asking ourselves. You know which which tables am I choosing to sit at? Mm-hmm. When I set the table, who who gladly comes, right. and and how how do we um, how do we how do we? I, I mean, common threads. And if you look on our website, you you'll you know this is not this is not a big secret, but I mean we are heavily white and female, mm-hmm. and and. That's true of the teaching profession. That's true. Just uh, the, the nonprofit world in general. Yeah, but but mm-hmm. but but it's it's not. But it's also. I mean, it, it's like okay, here's where we are. But how do we figure out wh- what's the work to do between where we are and where we would most like to be? And, right. And and how do we appropriately incorporate? Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I've had to just deal with for myself is like I'm really comfortable with failing forward. I'm really comfortable <laughs> with trying things, and if they don't work, I pick myself up, I brush myself off, I try again, and um, and and dealing with building community across difference in Bellingham feels like it. it it feels like the emotions run so high for so many of us, and and so it's just kind of I, I had to be like, okay, I'm I'm still I'm still the same flawed, imperfect human I always have been, and mm-hmm. I will fail sometimes. I will fail spectacularly, and I, I think being okay with failing is part of community too. Of mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah, I tried that, it didn't work, or I tried that, I caused offense. How, Okay, now it's my job to figure out how to make it better. Right. Hmm. How has uh, your outreach as an organization been impacted by the pandemic? Mm, I think it's gotten better. Hmm. Um, I, I think because, I mean, really when the pandemic hit, it was, it was right at the beginning of the planting season. So mm-hmm. we had all these gardens and the, I mean, the obvious first move was, well, let's plant the gardens because we know that even though the kids aren't going to be in the gardens this spring, and of course we were we were all so naive at the beginning of the right. pandemic. I mean, how, how did we know quite how long this was going to all last? But um, so we planted the gardens, and then we the next step was to figure out, well, okay, how do we get the food out to people who could really use some additional food, and then. Um, you know how I'm. I'm so happy to say, no one was furloughed at Common Threads. Mm-hmm. Everyone has gotten raises in the last year. Like, like I feel like we've done a good job of, of uh, uh, caring for our internal community, just kind of in terms of basic needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've also. Um, we had what I would say some some pretty passive relationships of goodwill like with other community-based organizations that 
Um, so there's a um, the Whatcom Coalition of Environmental Educators. There's a whole bunch of nonprofits that are part of that group, and we had loosely partnered with folks in that group for many years. We had loosely partnered with the with the Bellingham Public Schools Food Service Program, and because so much was disrupted, there my experience was that there was a greater spirit of um, generosity and mm -hmm. curiosity and oh my gosh none of us knows what's going on right now how do we help each other out right. and to me that I feel like that's been one of the silver linings of COVID is that those relationships have deepened in a way that that I don't I don't expect I mean, I don't think there's any... Sometimes I hear people talk about, oh, well, like when things go back to normal. Right. And, and, and my response is, oh, you mean when things go forward to normal 2.0? Yeah. When we take everything that we've learned from we this time it. together mm -hmm. and, we, and we apply it and we say, oh, we thought we were doing pretty good and then we realized a lot of the ways that we could be doing better and, and, and so we are. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel that way with funders. I feel that way with with partner nonprofits. Um, I, I mean, I'm still scratching my head about how we better connect with with people who would like to volunteer in school gardens. Mm -hmm. That one got even harder during COVID. I mean, partly there was a, a period of time when schools and I can't blame them were just so skittish about having community members on their campuses and it felt like the safest thing to say go away and I mean I think to me one of the most important questions is we always have to ask ourselves like what's the risk of doing something like what's the risk of having people out in this garden working together to grow food but then but then we have to turn over the coin and say, well, what's the risk of not doing it? Right. Um, and, and to me, the risk of not coming together to grow food and foster community resilience is so much greater than, than the risks inherent in doing that work. Mm -hmm. hmm. I can see that kind of struggle. I wonder if maybe parents could be a resource but a lot yeah. of folks work. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Or if there was like a class at the school where it was like that was their whole purpose was yeah. to go and yeah. be in the garden. But I don't know. Well, and during tricky. normal times, as I mean, kids do a lot of the tending of the gardens. Mm -hmm. But but this, this year, not so much. And then this summer, I mean, typically we get volunteers lined up to help care for the gardens over the summer. And I I just think people, we're all still a little disjointed and disconnected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, still trying to like gain our balance on yeah. where's our foundation now. Yeah. Things got a little yeah. crumbly, but yeah. What does membership and program participation look like in a typical year? Um, well, in a typical year, I mean, we garden, cook, and eat with kids in... Um, it, it's vacillated a little bit, but between 21 and 25 schools across five school districts. Mm -hmm. So we're uh, connecting with 
somewhere between 7,000 and 9,000 kids on a, on a regular basis. So that means kids are in the garden having some sort of formal garden education every other week in the spring and fall and cooking in the classroom during the winter and during the summer. We typically run summer camp programs up mm -hmm. at the uh, at Western Washington University's Outback Farm. Oh, cool! And we felt really lucky to have a partnership with mm -hmm. the university to take advantage of that space and introduce the community to that amazing resource. Mm -hmm. And we also, in a typical year, uh, run a program that we call Kids Cook, which is a, a breakfast and lunch program for mm -hmm. kids with challenges accessing healthy food during the summer and we've done that at affordable housing complexes and out at the East Whatcom Regional Resource Center. Um, so that's what participation normally looks like. Um, membership is not really a... Right. Yeah, we're not okay. really a member-based organization. Yeah. So this summer... Um, like as we're all kind of coming back into yeah. finding our foundations, how has it been? Um, well, I mean, insanely busy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're right now we're providing meals to about 120 kids, breakfasts and lunches, mm. um, both at some migrant farm worker camps up near Blaine and also out in the Kendall Maple Falls area. Um, we're partnering with the Mount Baker School District uh, with their sum they're doing a summer school where they're really trying to to offer some support for kids who have been disengaged from school over the past year because of the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah there's there's been no no shortage of opportunities to grow good food and grow good people we've we've got a a garden that we've helped to reinvigorate in North Bellingham on it's called the Sterling Paws Garden and it's um, within easy walking distance of three affordable housing complexes so our oh, hope cool. is eventually that it will serve as a, like a, community, a community hub mm -hmm. um, it's I mean it's it's a sweet story it's on property that's owned by a church there are multiple nonprofits that have contributed in one way or another to the reinvigoration of this garden and the and so so that's been moving along hmm. have your organizational goals evolved with regard to the pandemic i mean i think the the big evolution is our, our our focus historically has really been on food education. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we support kids and through kids their families in feeling confident and joyful in seed to table food, you know, growing it, harvesting it, preparing it, eating it. Um, and there's always been a food access component of that. Of mm -hmm. how do we best tilt our resources and our services to serve kids who who might not get that kind of support at home um, but and I would say that that aspect of our work has really been 
amplified by the pandemic of mm. of just I mean it's the same thing when that when I don't know if you were living in Bellingham but we've had a couple of winters where there have been multiple days of snow closures mm -hmm. and for some kids that's when you go sledding and you drink hot chocolate right for some kids um, you might be home alone you might be in a space where there's not adequate heat or food so just thinking about how how disruptions impact us differently depending on how we were doing before the disruption and mm -hmm. so I think a lot of what we've been doing is is trying our best to understand whose lives have been most significantly disrupted right and how can how can we make sure that our support is is laser beam focused on on families who will benefit from it i mean i'm i'm super sad not to be doing summer camps mm -hmm. this summer and i'm also the least worried about our typical summer camp clientele right. I mean, partly they're finding other summer camps maybe mm -hmm. yours right <laughs> and and but the other part is i mean everything that we're doing this summer we're doing um with no fee to the kids involved mm -hmm. um and and i feel so fortunate that we've been in a financial position to be able to do that um it would be um it would be a trickier model i think to i, I think figuring out how we incorporate this into a long-term sustainable model of um food education for for everybody that wants it and super support for food access for the folks that need it most feels like a, a, a challenge that I welcome just in terms of balancing those things mm -hmm. and and I mean because part of it is is there are families that are have have abundant resource whose kids also aren't learning healthy food habits mm -hmm. so it's I mean malnutrition is not exactly an equal opportunity problem but but you know, there's there's kids who legit just don't have enough calories. Right. And there's, and then there, and 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 that's mission critical. And then there's also kids from all sorts of backgrounds who may not have healthy calories. Mm -hmm. So, but but it's figuring out how to balance balance that. And partly, I mean, if we can, one of the things I love about working with in, in schools is that it's it's the place where kids bring their stories together and you've got mm -hmm. the the kids who are wondering you know is 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 that broccoli non-gmo right. and the, and the kid who has never tasted broccoli before right and and to find some common language around healthy food access for everyone feels important What are you looking forward to in the future of Common Threads? Well, I mean, I think I think truly part of what I'm looking forward to is is, and I don't know that I'm going to see it in in my lifetime, but there's a part of me that kind of goes, oh, I, I wouldn't mind if an, if an organization like Common Threads became obsolete because, because it just the health system and the education system 
acknowledged that food is such a critical piece that it wasn't left to a, a scrappy nonprofit to, to, to carry that torch. So, so, I mean, there's the aspiration that what we do is boringly normal, but I think waypoints along the way are, um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to improving our facilities, to more joyful community food celebrations. Mm -hmm. um, what else am I looking forward to? I mean, I think what I most love about my work is it's different every day and I learn so much. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to us continuing to, to learn and grow and better understand our potential and our place in meeting community needs. I like that you part of you wants to see this become obsolete in hope that the bigger entities will realize the depth of need. Well, my, my son just graduated high school and, mm -hmm. and people who've known me for a long time know that when he, when, when Common Threads was starting, I said to people, I said, my, my goal is that by the time my son graduates, I would feel great about him eating school lunch any day of the week. <laughs> and because I would just know that the quality of food mm -hmm. was high enough and that's it's particularly important because the people who eat school lunch every day are disproportionately the folks who are eligible for free and reduced lunch right so to me if we are feeding a meal at school that that I who who am passionate about fresh, local, healthy food, would want my kid to eat, then that means we're feeding all kids well. Mm -hmm. And It's a social responsibility. Right, and it just also normalizes healthy food. I mean, right. it's just, um, and I mean, and, and I mean, so, but that also means that we have to fund the school lunch program with dignity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the, there's a reason school lunches are not, you know, models of of of, of excellent dining. It's, it's it's economic. I mean, we got we we should. I mean, we should invest in food like we invest in in math or in libraries or in roads. I mean, as a society, I just think we we have gotten accustomed to to thinking that food ought to be cheap. And so I, I hope to live to see the day where, where we do spend more money on food and there is, and, 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 I, and I'm not saying like individuals are spending more money on food because I think that's, that's an access and equity issue, but where, where honorable food is affordable and, and farmers can make a living providing it, um, but I think we're a little ways from that. Mm -hmm. What is the most challenging aspect of your job? I, 
I mean, honestly, I think... I think building shared vision and value around mm-hmm. good food, because because to me, if... I, I mean, I sometimes say that Common Threads is in the business of meeting a need that people haven't realized that they have yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 we invest in the things that we care about. And so I think making sure that 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 we as a society care about the land our food is grown on, the people who are growing our food, the people who are, you know, those frontline essential workers who are making sure the food gets to us. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a values shift. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, Michelle Obama for ripping out the lawn and putting in a garden and, and putting some national attention on healthy food. And I'm, I'm grateful for the people who, who bring some celebrity focus to healthy food. But, mm-hmm. but I, but I, but to me, access to healthy food should not be like a fad a, 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 a fad or mm-hmm. a or a you know something that's being I, I mean I just I um yeah I guess part of what's hardest is like we're competing against we're competing against millions of dollars of of, of brilliant marketing strategy that is uh, promoting foods that that don't really nourish kids and and nourish not not people, not community, not planet. So I, I guess in the like the the philosophical sense, that's what's hardest about the work. Is I mean I don't think it's that like nobody's ever told me well that's dumb. Why why would you want to feed kids healthy? I mean I, I don't feel like there's that level of resistance, but but I feel like it's the how do we get to a point where we're where we invest in this appropriately? Mm-hmm. Um, And how do we, um, I mean, w- one of the things, I mean, we have these fabulous AmeriCorps members who come in every year, and, and many of them are like me, that they did not grow up knowing how, uh, how to grow food or prepare food, and part of what attracts them to the position is, is that if they know it, they want to share it, and if they don't know it, they want to learn it and then share it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one thing that feels really critical is not making any assumptions about where our values land on food and really working with with curiosity to build shared understanding around um, the role that healthy food can play in community. Have you been partnered with AmeriCorps for long? Um, yeah, since 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How many AmeriCorps staff do you have right now? Um, well, right now we've got 21. Wow. Next year we, we will have as many as 30. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a big crew. Super cool. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, 
I served AmeriCorps in Montana for a year, and so I have a heightened sense of awareness now for like, oh wow, there's AmeriCorps all over the place. I know, and and I mean, I think the whole idea of, I mean, I love the idea of national service mm-hmm. as a as a career launching pad, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, one of the one of the things that's made me most proud to partner with AmeriCorps over this past year is at least in Washington State, I feel like they've done an excellent job of, of really thinking about equity and what are some of the barriers to service mm-hmm. and wanting to make sure that serving as an AmeriCorps member is viable path for people who don't come from privilege. Yes. And, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a, real, a, a real challenge. And I mean, at Common Threads, we've, we've dramatically increased the living allowance that we pay AmeriCorps mm-hmm. members, but we still haven't done it enough. Right. Um, but it's... It's hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. okay, so so let's raise another $100,000 so that we can, you know, bump bump the living allowance up for all these folks. Cool, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing. How do I raise another $100,000? <laughs> do you have a um, Donate Now button on your website? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'll put up the yeah. website. And Thank you. Make a little mention. Um, where does all of your food that you grow go? Um, well, we're always looking for the quickest path into kids' mouths. Oh yeah. So, so during the school year, we do a lot of garden nibbles. The mm-hmm. the the food goes into the salad bars in the cafeteria, mm-hmm. and usually, I mean, when you have three hundred plus students in a school. That's a lot of little nibbles, and Mm -hmm. usually that's where the food goes. This past year, um, it's really gone out to to, um, families in need and through a couple different channels. Uh, We've donated some of our food to the Birchwood Food Desert Fighters. Oh, cool. Um, Okay. We've come alongside the Bellingham Public Schools Emergency Food Distribution, and and supplemented with produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've just handed out bags of produce as we have them available. Uh, a lot of our food right now is getting eaten by kids through our summer programs. Nice. So kids are eating you know, sa- veggies, veggie stir fry, salads, whatever, d- during the programming that we're doing with kids. Uh, rarely does our food go to the food bank because usually we've found other places for it to go but yeah real focus on making sure it's getting to kids in particular Hmm. Um, and you mentioned earlier that kids both help plant and harvest although this last year yeah who planted and harvested this year mostly the AmeriCorps team yeah Mm -hmm. and and some volunteers I mean so so put in a plug for volunteers too yeah Uh, we, we love having volunteers, and because we've got so many school gardens, we can usually find a, a accessible place for a volunteer where they mm-hmm. can help out with a garden that's close, close to, to their house. Mm-hmm. We, we have recognized the opportunity just to do some more training and support for volunteers because a lot of times people want to help, but they don't know how because mm-hmm. they didn't grow up gardening. Right. And so this past year we, we hired a farm program manager and that's part of her job is to offer both our AmeriCorps members some more training and then also do the same thing for 
for community folks who are interested in volunteering. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, I mean, you can go do a, a Master Gardener class, which is great. Mm-hmm. I know the Chuckanut Center does some workshops, also great. Um, but we're, we're just trying to figure out where where our appropriate role is in, I mean, our, our focus is, is on kids, but at the same time, kids kids live within a system and kids often have relatively little agency about what food is available to them. So right. finding, finding opportunities for, to make sure that, that we're helping to increase that food access because you know, some kids go home from one of our cooking programs and they'll say to their parent or guardian, hey, I wanna go buy kale and this and that, but wouldn't it be cool if we could just send kids home with, with the ingredients right. so that Aww. they can say, I've got the ingredients, I've got a recipe, let's make kale salad for dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are all of the other uh, Common Threads Gardens? Well, they are um, at every elementary school. St- starting in the fall of this year, we'll be at every elementary school and every middle school in the, the Bellingham District. We're in all three of the elementary schools in the Mount Baker School District. We partner with two schools in Ferndale, one in Linden, um, and and we continue to reach out. And we always tell potential school partners that we can garden with them but we can't garden for them I mean Mm -hmm. when a school wants a garden that requires a certain investment on the part of teachers parents administrators custodial staff Um, so it's not I I mean I I, it's 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 a I mean schools are ecosystems gardens are ecosystems that need tending and managing so so the reason, I mean, I always tell people the easiest thing about a school garden is starting it. Mm-hmm. The harder thing is keeping is it going. Keeping it going. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite? Oh, I would never pick a favorite. Um, <laughs> I, Do you I'll, have I'll one you feel most proud of? I, I, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I love this one at Whatcom Middle School because it's, it's our home base. I love it because the principal was the person with the vision to put that hoop house up. And mm-hmm. I think because of that hoop house, I, I think that hoop house gets some credit for the fact that all the other schools are, middle schools are getting greenhouses this coming year. I mean, I, I just think, I love that it's on a major throughway and people see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, the garden over at Carl Kozier Elementary because it's on asphalt. Yeah. And 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 it just serves as such a good reminder that if you want it you can make it happen. Y- y- yeah, I mean, I the same the garden at Cordata, mm-hmm. there was some reluctance of well, what do we do? This this is a wetland and you know, how do we make sure that we're in compliance with kind of some of the some of the restrictions around wetlands? I mean, Lowell is the skinniest garden. I mean, Birchwood and Roosevelt are are huge gardens. Mm-hmm. They all have they all have their special flavors, mm-hmm. and I mean that's I think that's something I really appreciate is that a garden doesn't have to look a particular way. Right. Mm-hmm. 
How do you measure your impact on children's lives? Um, not well enough, quite honestly. But I, I mean, we it's it's something we're really working to do better. We a couple years ago, and I and I think it's on our website. If it's not, I'll make sure it is. But we did a um, a a a, a, a deeper evaluation with teachers because we really wanted to know from the teacher perspective what was the impact our program was having and we very purposely cho chose a cross-section of schools we interviewed second and fifth grade schools uh, second and fifth grade teachers at four different schools and the schools we chose we, we chose one high poverty urban school one kind of more mixed demographic urban school one more affluent urban school and one High poverty rural school, mm -hmm. and we and we really wanted to know what were we going to hear from teachers, and how was it going to differ across schools, and 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 we went into it thinking we really wanted to understand like were we growing good eaters? You know, mm -hmm. our, the back of our T-shirt says we grow good eaters, and and uh, I mean, a, a friend asked me years ago. He said, well, what do you what do you what do you grow at your school gardens? I said, we grow good eaters. We grow kids who care about food. Mm -hmm. And um, so we definitely heard from teachers that they felt like kids were more adventurous and more willing to try new things. But but the other thing we heard that what like so touched my heart and it was so affirming and 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 in some ways so unexpected even though it was right underneath my nose was was that teachers talked about um, the joy and the bravery and the teamwork and the curiosity that was being fostered in the gardens and and I mean I had one teacher pick up her phone and she's like you gotta see this and she started flipping through pictures and she looked at one and it was this very very focused young boy with a clipboard and a pencil and she said see this boy this is the first time he imagined himself as a scientist. And then she flipped to the next picture and it was three kids, all of them on the, with their hands together on a project and they were clearly pulling, pulling together. I mean, literally, they were trying to pull something out of the ground together. And she said, these three struggle so hard with each other in the classroom. And, and so here was this, this and, and so just, you know, and, and for some kids, it's such a big deal to to stick something new in their mouth, just to try something new. And and so teacher after teacher, and particularly at the higher poverty schools, we heard teachers say, you know, this is rich and important, and it's a place where where our kids who may not have access to green spaces in their lives and may not have access to uh, to a diversity of healthy foods this is a place where they get to try new things mm -hmm. and where they learn how to appropriately express likes and dislikes i mean one of our one of our catchphrases in our programs is, is when if you don't care for something you say oh that's not my cup of tea and 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 i think food is one of those places where we get to understand very literally that our tastes are different right and and your delicious might be my no thank you and that's okay mm -hmm. and and in terms of 
and that's true of food, that's true of dress, that's true of activity, and and so hopefully we're through food facilitating conversations about we're all we're all different, and and we can respectfully disagree, and we can learn from each other, and we can try new things, and so I mean you asked how do we evaluate impact, and and that's what got me down this road, but but I really do think that. Although I'm deeply convinced that that our impact is preventative health, mm-hmm. and and that when kids learn early to enjoy healthy food, that sets them up for lifelong healthy food habits. Mm-hmm. I also think that our impact is around agency, and uh, this and and pride and. And to to look at a group of kids standing on the sidewalk with a big bag full of produce that they just harvested and that they walk into the cafeteria and the food service person says, wow, and thank you, and then they and their peers get to gobble it up at lunch. I just think, um, I mean, we all want to be actors in our world mm-hmm. and, and, and food growing it, cooking it, eating it is, is one of those places where we can express ourselves. Do you have an earliest in the garden memory of your own like to share? Well, so I did not grow up with a garden, hmm. but I grew up food curious mm-hmm. and, and, and I grew up with this this weird and I think I was a weird kid but I um, <laughs> like my one of my earliest food growing in the world memories is that my neighborhood I grew up in Colorado my neighborhood had lots of choke cherries which are not exactly the most palatable or accessible yeah. food but but I was like wow there's all these choke cherries what can I make with them and so mm-hmm. I learned how to make choke cherry jelly um same thing i i found a a patch of rhubarb way out in in you know in a field behind our house and i mean somebody must have planted it at some point but it was this rhubarb that had just been left there and and that became my rhubarb patch and i adopted it and um i also my best friend when i was a kid uh, her mom made the most delicious homemade whole wheat bread and and I would walk into their house and it would smell like bread and and so as a second grader my my friend and I started a a bread baking business and we would make bread and we would this was a very different time um, where two second graders were allowed to stand out on the highway off-ramp and sell, (laughs) sell bread and and, and it's so funny because like then my life went in so many different directions that had nothing to do with food and um, but, I, but I think some of those early memories of just like excitement about like, food food grows in nature how cool is that yeah um, just that sense of joy and then I think about when I started um, when I started a garden with my son and he was two years old and the little girl from next door toddled over and and we were in the garden and we were harvesting peas and 
and this little girl said, wow. And it just like that, that childish wonder of, I mean, I still feel it every time something sprouts. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, I, I just think, I mean, big nature, parks, wilderness, those are beautiful spaces, but, but I love the intimacy of, of nature all around us. Mm. And um, I read somewhere, right when I was starting Common Threads, that uh, I can't remember what the source was, but somebody said, you know, hiking is like listening to a beautiful symphony and gardening is like playing one. Mm. And, 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 oh, and, and really both sweet. are good. Yeah, right. like an art form. Do you have a favorite veggie or veggie dish and how do you like to eat it? Uh, one of my favorites right now is is how many different leaves can I make pesto out of? <laughs> um, so I've Have you I've, done nettle? I've done nettle. Yeah. I've done nasturtium. Oh. Highly recommend it. Okay. Um yeah radish leaf was the most recent one that got high high ratings even from skeptics Um, so so yeah i would say i'm really enjoying a diversity of leafy green pestos right now that's super fun do you have like a seasonal favorite food dishes you like to prepare and like this summer you're just really into leafy pestos well yeah, I mean, I do feel like I mean, so yeah. Right now, it's pesto. <laughs> um, I am a I am a big forager. I've I can't believe how many fruit trees are in Bellingham, and oh, yeah. and and I love to um, I love to dry fruit because then mm-hmm. I have it the whole rest of the year. And I mean, I really buy very little fruit because I I pick it, I freeze it, I dry it. I I don't really can very much I more freeze and dry but I mean uh, my my son who is like my son keeps me honest because he's not actually very interested in gardening or <laughs> cooking or and so he reminds me that I'm not all that but oh, um, okay, okay. he um, he walked in last summer and and the the food dehydrator was going and he smelled it and he said oh it's food dehydrating time. He's like, oh, it's that time. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, I love that he That's has a season. seasonal association mm-hmm. with this. That is cool. Yeah. Does he cook? Uh, he actually is a, is a better and better and more and more adventurous cook. That's exciting. Yeah, it's cool. Hmm. That's super fun. My partner and I really love to cook together. Um, and that's, I think, one of our first loves that we discovered um, was to just, like, cook together. We experiment with, like, Peruvian food and oh, Mediterranean nice. and just all over the place. We're, we're curious as well. Um, yeah, that's yeah. it's fun to, to be in a partnership with someone else who's also interested in cooking. Nice. And so I hope that your son can bring that into a space and they can explore yeah. together. Who should I talk to next? With the theme of community. community. Mm-hmm can be any organization um, or a business or a specific person you think would be interesting to talk to? 
Um, okay. Couple ideas. Mm -hmm. I don't know him very well. I've only just met him once. But Northwest Youth Services has a new executive director. Oh. Okay. His name is Jason McGill. Um, he moved up here from Seattle during the pandemic, which seems incredibly brave to me. Mm -hmm. And I would think that his perspective on community, like through the lens of homelessness, would be pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Flip Breskin, do you know her? Mm -mm. I want to hear a podcast. I want to hear you talk to Flip. Okay. Because she does, like, I kind of feel like she's the self-appointed mayor of the Columbia neighborhood because she, she, she does, like, announce, like, you can get on her email list and you'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about what's cool in the folk music scene, who lost their cat, um, <laughs> what, what, uh, who is she voting for and why? Okay. Like, I really love, I really love the way she, like, she, she shares opinions about politics, but also says, don't just follow me, do, do your own, mm -hmm. do your own, um, research and vote responsibly. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I totally think you should. I think those might be my two top picks. Okay. Uh, and and like I said, Jason, I barely know. Mm -hmm. But I just think that that the homelessness perspective on community seems like a really important one. I agree. Um, yeah. And and Flip, I also barely know, but she's just a, a incredibly generous and interesting force of nature. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to. Talk to both of those folks. I mean, that's another interesting angle on community. Mm -hmm. um, Maury Ingram, the um, CEO of the Community Foundation, would be a fascinating person to talk to. Cool. That's a cool community. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So are you, like, is this home for you, or are you going back to Montana? Um, so I only lived there for a year. I grew okay. up in Bremerton. I moved up here to go to school, okay. um, bounced around a lot, trying to find a community, trying to find a place I fit, trying to find a niche, um, and then took a job in Montana because I was fed up with okay. not being able to find community here. And working AmeriCorps over there really taught me to view community in a different way. So mm. when I came back to this space, I really wanted to be very intentional about oh, who nice. lives here. How do I get to know them? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you have any advice for me about how Common Threads could do a better job of building community, I would love to hear it. Because um, I don't know that I do, but the or director... or if you ever like meet people, then you're like, oh, you should connect with Common Threads. Please yeah. introduce us. Well, the director of the Nooksack Salmon Enhancement Association. Um, yeah. Rachel Vasek, I think, would be interesting for you to talk well, to about that. Uh, so I n almost never work with Rachel, but I often work with one of her staff members. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So They have yeah. a really cool staff. Yeah, yeah. they do. Mm -hmm. That's, a, that's good, to, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I like her a lot as a human. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, I didn't feel like I was at my most articulate, so hopefully you're, ab you're able to edit something coherent. Ah. <laughs> I felt like you did a wonderful job. Thank you.